You turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to read, read the passage. Lord, we pray as we dig into your word that if you see anything in us that we need to change, that you'd show us, Lord, that as we change, we become more like you, and I pray that you would do that, conform us into your image, because that is your ultimate goal with us. I pray as we dig into your word that we'd see more of who you are, um, and we would praise you for it, that we'd see more of who we are and praise you for it, but above all, that you'd be brought glory and honor through it all. Just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 16. I'm reading from the ESV, so if you're in the King James, it might be slightly different but it should be okay. Ephesians 4, 1 says, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over and through all in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Verse 9, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all, fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for, the building, up, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. The, the book of Ephesians, I think everybody, for those of you that don't know, I tend to wander, so bear with me. Um, but the book of Ephesians, yeah, we've been studying it on Tuesday nights, and Paul has a system usually of how he writes things. And he usually gives you, these are the spiritual truths about something. And here's how it should be lived out. Colossians, the book of Colossians, this is who Christ is. Therefore, live this way. Um, Romans, this is all that happened in your salvation. Therefore, live this way. Well, in Ephesians... Paul gives us the call and the conduct of the church. The first half of the book is the call of the church. 
And the second half is the conduct. And we're going to look at just the first 16 verses of the second half. But that call of the church in the first chapter and a half, so chapter 1 into part of chapter 2, talks about we're called individually. and all the, He talks about that we have every spiritual blessing. And he goes through what all those spiritual blessings are. We're not going to go through those now because we'd be here for quite some time. I think we took two or three weeks studying it on Tuesday nights with all the spiritual blessings we have. And he has like this big one long run-on sentence in chapter 1 because he gets so excited about all the things we have in Christ as individuals. And then in the second half of chapter 2, he shows us how as individuals who we were dead in our sins before Christ. And he gives us a picture of what that was. And then in chapter 3, he shows us who we are as the church. At that time, we're coming together as pagan nations and the Jews. And they had nothing in common <laughs> whatsoever. You had people in Ephesus who were coming out of witchcraft and all kinds of crazy stuff coming into this new this new work of God, the church, which was a mystery up until this point, and brought together as one body of Christ. And so Paul explains in chapter 3 what that looks like as the Jews and Gentiles come into one. And, he, and then he prays for them that they'd understand this mystery of how this happens as us being the church. And so as he shows them their calling, individually and corporately, he then turns, takes the turn and says, okay, now live this way. And that's what he does in verse 1. He does this, he did this in Romans 2. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, he reminds them, look, this is a high calling. Right now, I'm writing to you imprisoned for the calling that you're called to. Paul was on house arrest at this time and was writing this letter to them. And he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called. Paul, when he says, I urge, I beseech, it's the idea of coming alongside someone. Um, quick example, my, my, a friend of mine loves to run 5Ks. I don't know why, but he does. And his wife, who has some serious physical limitations, to join her husband, walks them. And my husband, my husband, my, my friend's husband, the husband of the couple, he's, he's like a flea on speed. He just, he runs, he finishes the race, he usually finishes like second, third, fourth, sometimes first, and then runs back and walks the rest of the way with his wife and encourages her along the way. That's what Paul does. When he says, I beseech you, he comes alongside of us and says, look, I'm doing this. I've seen what's going on. And I want you to come along with me and do the same thing because it's such a glorious calling we've been called to. I urge you, I beseech you. No matter what's going on in the world, this is what you were called to out of the world. And so, in this section, what he's called us to and what he brings to mind to us is the idea of unity. Wasn't sure what I was going to preach. We were doing this on Tuesday night Bible study and realized where we were at at a crossroads with this church. I'm like, all right, Lord, this is the passage. Um, but 
But Paul gives us, in this first section, the foundations of unity in verses 1 through 6. In verse 2, he says, says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. I mean, we could do sermons on, like, each word, but we're not going to. (laughs) These foundational attitudes can contribute to the unity of the church. Humility, or in in the King James probably says lowliness. Um, Humility isn't feeling bad about yourself. That's humility is having an accurate view of yourself. And and more importantly, humility is having an accurate view of yourself in light of God. When we came to salvation, we had a pretty good humility about us, or else we wouldn't have come to salvation. We realized that we were desperate sinners before a holy and just God, and that we needed Jesus as our Savior. We as the church, all of us, here, down the street, wherever there are believers, are called to humility, an accurate view of ourselves. Because, yeah, we're not all that in a bag of chips, but he's also called us to something, and we'll talk about later how he's gifted us. So we have to have that accurate view of who we are before him. The other one he calls us to is gentleness or meekness as one of the fundamental attitudes of unity. Gentleness or meekness is the opposite of self-assertion. Well, I deserve this. I'm in this position, so you listen to me. I am this, I am that. Did Christ do that? He could have snapped his fingers and killed us all. (laughs) Or said, bow to me right now. But he showed the ultimate example of meekness. It's that power under control. It's that even though we may deserve something, we choose not to assert it in certain situations. Um, This one commentator says, a gentle person is one whose emotions are under control, whereas humility may have one's relationship to God in in view um, and his blessings in view, Gentleness may have the believer's relationship to the world in view. So humility is our standing before God. Our gentleness and our meekness is how we stand before men. And women, I'm not trying to be sexist. (laughs) That we stand in such a way that regardless of how he's gifted us, that doesn't make us any better than anybody else. That we consider others better than ourselves and consider their needs. And the third virtue is patience or long-suffering. William Barclay in his commentary put it this way. Uh, the, the Greek word there is makrothumia, but patience or long-suffering is the spirit which bears insult and injury without bitterness and without complaint. It is the spirit which bears the sheer foolishness of men without irritation. It is the spirit which can suffer unpleasant people with graciousness and fools without complaint. I'm still working on that one. (laughs) But don't the last two kind of flow from the first one? Don't meekness and patience kind of flow from our who we are before God and our 
um, in our humility. And all of these in this verse are fueled by forbearing love and eagerness. Forbearing is the same way, same, same on concept as uh, patience or long-suffering. Um, back when they take the Greek and they, they did the Greek version of the Old Testament, um, they used this word for forbearing to describe God's endurance of the Israelites' unfaithfulness to him. Jesus said it while he was on it. There's plenty of passages where Jesus said, Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I forbear or have long-suffering with you? The, the idea of forbearing is, is the idea of a restraint. And if you combine that with love, which in this case is agape love, the kind of love that seeks the highest good in the one loved, we can't help but have these other start harboring these other qualities towards people. Because agape love is, is this idea of seeking the will of God for the other person. If I've got somebody that's being contrary to me, however that might be, and I have a right view of who I am before God and who they are before God, wouldn't I wish the best for them before God? Wouldn't I pray as such? Wouldn't I lovingly talk with them about things? That's what brings us in unity, is that forbearing love and the eagerness to do so. Paul says in uh, verse 3, that we'd be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Unity and peace don't just come. We have to harbor these attitudes and we have to have the attitude of eagerness to make it happen. That doesn't mean it's always going to happen. But when it's up to us, as far as it's up to us, we do so. Josephus used this word one time. He he, it kind of had that idea of to be zealously engaged. If we're being zealously engaged to promote peace and unity, won't we start seeing the fruits of that? And so Paul, Paul shows us that we have these fundamental attitudes I mean, in the next uh, verse or two. He shows us the fundamental truths of unity that unite all believers. When we came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, all these things I'm about to briefly talk about became a spiritual reality in our life. Paul says that we're one body. The church, the universal body. Believers here, believers in Timbuktu, believers in China, wherever. We were all brought into the body of Christ. And so if we're part of the body of Christ, we're united by him. He says one spirit. The one spirit is, is the Holy Spirit that indwells the church as a whole, as well as every individual believer. When you were saved, if you've trusted in Christ, if you've genuinely placed your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God comes and dwells in you. And as we come together corporately, even though I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit is speak, speaks to our hearts 
and helps us to understand the Word of God. But Him bringing us into the body makes us part of the body. That was part of our spiritual rebirth or our regeneration. You have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit now. And because those of us have that have genuinely believed have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we can have unity of the Spirit as a truth to understand, as a truth to, to bring us together. One Lord. Obviously, I hope obviously, the one Lord is Jesus Christ, the head of the church. Do you call him Lord? Do we? What does Lord mean? He's our sovereign, right? If we call him Lord, are we listening to what he calls us to? When we make him, when we think about the fact that he's our Lord, doesn't unity come a little bit easier as we submit to him in obedience? Knowing that he's working in the heart of that person that still has the Holy Spirit in their life too? One faith. When we placed our faith in Jesus, we, we all became one faith. Our hope is in Christ. That is all we can hope on is what Jesus Christ has done for us. There's nothing we've done that can bring us to another bring us to the place we are and who we are in Christ. And this one faith identifies us and unifies us. One baptism. Start finding out who the Baptists and the Congregationalists are real quick when you start reading commentaries and how they interpret this passage. But the one thing they can all agree on is this beyond the water baptism and our views on that, which is only a symbol of what has already happened. The spiritual truth is, like I said, when the Holy Spirit comes in your life, you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come into your life, and that baptism has made you part of the church and part of the body of Christ, the universal body of Christ. That's why and 1 Corinthians 12, 13 tells us that. And then Romans tells us how, Romans 6 tells us how when we do have water baptism and are immersed, it is a picture of what has happened. We've died with Christ. And what? And what? Raised a new life, right? The Spirit has made that a spiritual reality in our lives. Water baptism shows our death with Christ and our raising to that new life. The visible for the rest of the world to see. And so one baptism unites us also. I miss the one hope, but the one hope is the return of Christ and the future we have with Him. We have one God and Father. All He... All refers to all believers. God is the one God and Father of all believers who are his children. See, Paul, back in chapter 1, discusses how we have been adopted. We've, we've been brought into adoption, into the family of God. And even though we may, we may bicker as siblings, we're still siblings. Anyone that's ever raised children, or watched people raise children, because I haven't raised any of my own, um, they're still your kids, right? 
even if they argue and throw food at each other and you yell at them and beat them up one wall and down the other, they're both still your kids. When we're in conflict with other believers, we're still his kids. He's still dealing with us as his kids. And he calls to us to remember that he's our father, and if he's our father, and he's my father, and he's your father, and we have some issues, well, we're still in the family, and we've got to figure it out, right? Because the family sticks together. <laughs> and that's why knowing that he's one, he's one father of us all is one more truth, spiritual truth, that unites us. And he says that, you know, he's over them, over us, in the sense of being sovereign over us. He lives through us. And he manifests himself in us. We as the church, if we have the God of the universe living inside of us, to the best of our ability, individually and corporately, make God known to the rest of the world. And so when we live in unity, we make God known even more. What did Jesus say in his high priestly prayer? They'll know us how, Ruth. What? By our fruits, and what else? And our love for one another, right? So Paul, in the second half of this, this section, says, okay, these are the attitudes and, that you should have, these are the truths you should think on, as far as walking in a manner worthy of your calling. Now let's talk about the walking. And he says in verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Each individual, if you've genuinely placed your faith in Christ here today, myself included, God, Jesus Christ, who is God, the Holy Spirit, has gifted you, has given you gifts, spiritual gifts, to be exercised, and we'll talk about that a little later, but you've been given gifts and we have not been given the same gifts. Because if everybody had the same gift, then everybody would be doing the same thing, right? But he's given us a diversity of gifts. Back over in, if I can get there without missing it. He talks about this in 12, uh, Romans 12. In Romans 12, he says, uh, in verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to you, everyone among you, not to think himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them and he gives us a whole spiel of ones in this one. In 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about the Spirit giving us gifts. Starting in verse 4 of 12, he says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them, them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit of God for the common good. 
You've been given gifts to help unite the body of Christ. And to show him to the world. But as part of it. And down in 11, when we start wondering why I have this gift and that person has that gift, verse 11 it says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. I had a pastor who was my first pastor. He had a, he had a small church um, that he, you know, well, relatively small, 100 people. Um, his son pastored a congregation of 1,000 people. Everything he touched was gold. This guy was like, almost became a professional baseball player. God had just gifted him in so many different ways, spiritually and, and physically. And his other son <laughs> was a machinist, and he was a pretty good machinist, but just had to rack his brains and, and strive so hard to do everything he did. And, and yet, he served faithfully in his congregation. He had things he did that contributed to the body of Christ. He wasn't the pastor like his brother of a thousand-person congregation. But that never worried him. He knew his part in the body of Christ and was happy to exercise it, whatever that might be. Each and every person in here is gifted to do that. If you have genuinely trusted Christ, the Spirit has gifted you, and he, he empowers you to act within the body of Christ. The person, the person speaking, whether it's me, Pastor Gary, Jim Ritchie, that's just one person. That's just one gifting. There are so many others. And that's what makes the church work. Now we're going to have a group of people here that are gifted with a group of people down the road that are gifted and coming over and joining together. See, the other thing that, and it's funny that Deb brought this up earlier about last week's, or two weeks ago, the, the bulletin. Um, not only is he talking about individual gifts here, but um, not only does he give these individual gifts, but he's also talking about how Christ has given these church leaders, particularly the teachers, as gifts to the congregation. He's talking about the congregation right here and the unity of the congregation. Um, and he's given these, these gifted leaders in order to foster unity and growth in the body. That, that seems to be the whole point. And when Paul goes off on this spiel from the Old Testament, the idea is when a conquering king or a conquering general would go in and, and to the victor be the spoils, he took those spoils and he gifted it to those that were loyal to him, those that became loyal to him. Christ has conquered death, and in doing so, to those that are his, he mets out the spoils. Not for our own use and pleasure, but for his service. And that's why he goes through all that with verses 8 through 10 and looking at Psalm 68 and, and commenting on it. He leads into verse 11 where he says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, or the pastors and teachers. I just want to focus on pastor and teacher. Even though we voted 
Pastor Gary, not in and of himself, is a gift from God. God has gifted him to teach and preach the word of God. Do we recognize that we as the body of Christ are receiving a gift from our Lord with Pastor Gary coming? That's why he's saying, look, I, I gifted all these different people, the evangelists, the prophets. We won't get into what all that means for now, but focusing on pastor, teacher, I've gifted all these people for the benefit of the congregation so that as they understand my word and give it to you and explain it to you, you're able to do what? Look at the next verse. To be equipped. It says, I give you all these people to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Their reason for being here is to equip you and me, because I'm going to be sitting in the pews starting next Sunday. I'll be back in the pews, not teaching, to equip us for the work of the ministry, inside and outside of the church. You have, each and every person in here has a sphere of influence of people you run into on a daily basis that you're showing Christ to the world. And as you learn stuff, you may not go into it in depth with them, but you're able to communicate more and more every time you talk to them as you learn and grow yourself. I don't communicate the way I did 15 years ago when I first got saved. The idea of equipping here, the Greek word there, is the idea of preparing or mending or restoring the people to their proper use. When the pastor teaches, and we as the congregation hear, the Holy Spirit takes that and he starts, it's the idea of like mending a fishing net or setting a broken bone. Those things in our lives that may be out of whack, he takes and starts mending back together. Those things corporately that are out of whack, he starts mending back together, if we're listening. And he equips us to deal with every day and do the work of the ministry. It's still the leader's job to go out in his sphere of influence out in the world, the person that's teaching and preaching. It's still their job to deal with their sphere of influence. But when we're here, their job is the congregation. Pastor Gary here is to lead you in a way he feels God is leading. And in doing so, not only do we grow in him, but we grow, hopefully, in number, corporately. And we go out into the world and show Christ even more each and every week. The goal of this equipping in those last verses, and we could... Paul gives us the analogy of the human body. The goal is maturity. Verse 13. It says, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. Our, the goal for the preaching and teaching and, and to bring unity together is maturity. What does maturity look like? It looks like unity of faith, we have days where we waver, don't we? There's days where my faith isn't as strong as 
Don's, and Don's faith some days isn't as strong as mine, or whoever. There's days where I'm just dragging, and someone comes in. <laughs> I had a week where I just had a horrible week. Showed a Bible study, and there was four of us, and everybody was in different situations was struggling with the same thing. In principle, we were struggling with some of the same things. And, and it was so encouraging because we built each other's faith back up. When we're united, we start uniting in faith, and the stronger we unite in faith, the stronger we grow in faith. The stronger we grow in faith, the more we grow in general. The unity of knowledge of the Son of God is another sign of maturity. We're continually learning who He is and who we are. I pray that every week. I don't pray that in vain. We need to know each and every week more of who He is and how He's working in the world around us. And as we do, we can act accordingly. So the more we study His Word, the more we're taught His Word, the more we act upon that Word we're studying and being taught, the more we grow towards maturity. I know we sing on Christ the solid rock I stand, but do you remember what Jesus actually said? If you hear my words and do them or heed them, then it will be like a man who built his house on a rock. If you hear my words and do them. Acting on those words will bring us to the maturity and bring us to unity. When we're in conflict with someone, I keep going back to conflict, not because I'm expecting conflict, um, but conflict is a part of unity. And I've been in enough conflict in the church to know what it's like. <laughs> but when we act the way God calls us to act in times of conflict, He grows us. Individually and corporately, and, and mends us back together, as he talked about during that equipping of the saints. Down the bottom there it says, where's my spot? One of the other signs of maturity, in verse 16 it says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When we work the way we're supposed to work, the way God's gifted us and called us to work, and all the different aspects of ministry, we grow the body, grow the body in such a way that it builds itself up in love. That's a sign of maturity. And that's our, God's goal for us. His ultimate goal, individually and corporately, is to be conformed to the image of His Son. That we grow up into Christ-likeness, or be complete in Christ-likeness. That's not going to completely happen on this side of heaven, which means what? We're going to constantly be doing this until he returns for us or we go to see him, whichever comes first. Regardless of age, Christ calls you to follow him and walk in this manner worthy. 
So my question to us, not just you, to us, because I'm part of this, is are we ready to enter into this new season at, of this church? The new season in the life of this church. Are we prepared to set our minds and hearts upon those fundamental attitudes and those fundamental truths? All those things that, you, that should bring us united. Are we, are we ready to accept and praise Jesus for the gracious gift he's given us? Not only a, con a bigger congregation now, because we've got two coming together, but the fact that we've got a gifted pastor that's coming to be our pastor and teach us. Are we thankful and praising God for the fact? I, us as the committee, the search committee, we're praising God because that was the quickest search committee I've ever been on. <laughs> and we're praising God not only that. I, we were talking about in Sunday school, and I think I've told a few old uh, those on the committee know I said this. After we get done talking to Gary, I said, I, I made this comment. I said, what are we missing? Because it just seems too good to be true that this is all falling into place. This pastor, I believe, is a gift from God. I know he is because God's word says so, but, and we should praise him for it. Are we ready, each and every person here, to exercise the gifts he's given us and dig in and do the work of the ministry? Pastor Gary's got a big vision of where he wants to bring us. And it's going to take a whole lot of work from every single person. And I guarantee you, when it seems like there's a conflict with someone else, God will open up another door for you to minister here. I, I was youth pastoring with a guy. We were kind of co-youth pastoring. And I was like, dude, how are we not going to like butt heads all the time? Well, he was married and had a, had a family, and so he tended to minister to the kids that were just at church, the junior high kids, and, and I got stuck with all the... I was single, and apparently I was able to stay up all night, but I was the one that ministered to all the older kids. We never had time to butt heads. When you're truly seeking how you're gifted and where God would have you to serve at, he will lay that open for you. But he calls every person in this room to that, to the work of the ministry. So are we ready to dig in and do the work of the ministry and thus growing to maturity and building up the body in love? Are we ready for all these things? Let's pray. Lord, we know change is really hard for us. We know that in and of ourselves, we'd, we'd all run for the hills most days of the week. Challenges arise. I don't expect conflict to come our way. Not in the major sense. I know there's things we're going to need to work through as two congregations come together, as we get a new pastor and change the way things have been done in certain areas. Lord, help us to have those attitudes that Paul called us to. Help us to remember those truths, Lord. Help us to see Pastor Gary as a gift from you and the way you've gifted him in, this, in the wisdom and experience you've given him up to this point. 
Help us to be ready to dig in and do the work of the ministry, whatever that might be, as we, as we seek you in that. And as we do, Lord, I pray that we would glorify you more and more each and every step of the way, and that eventually our blessed hope will be here, and we'll see you as you really are, and our joy will be complete. We just pray all these things in your glorious name, Jesus. Amen.